right, we are so glad that you guys are with us this morning. My name's Kevin. I'm one of the pastor elders, and um, this Sunday, these family-style gatherings, they are a little bit different, and that is intentional, and it's on purpose, and uh, I would just want to remind all of you who are in here in elementary, including my own children, that we're so glad that you're here, and you're not here just to sit and be quiet. In fact, at family-style gatherings, it's okay to make a little noise, to squirm. That happens. But we do also, we want to invite you to participate. You're not just here because mom's here. You're not just here because dad's here. This church belongs to you too. And so Jesus speaks so highly of you, and he says for you to come and to be and to come near. And so we're so glad that you are here. We're so glad that you get to participate with us. And so there's going to be questions that we ask throughout our gathering, and whether or not you're a kid or an adult, uh, we want you guys to participate this morning as we continue to walk through. Actually, we're taking a break this morning. Uh, shocker, that was, a, that was a little slip there. But we are starting a generosity series for the next two weeks. I want to share with you guys uh, really quick about Celebrate Generosity. Celebrate Generosity is coming up on October 20th. How many of you guys have participated in a Celebrate Generosity? Okay. Awesome. If you haven't, we strongly encourage you to come and make it something that you're there for. Not so that we can get more money from you, but so that you can come and see what God is doing. Celebrate Generosity is an opportunity for the family of churches. that We have a church in Thousand Oaks, Camarillo, Ventura, and now in Denver. And all four churches are going to be here on October 20th at Conejo Creek Park. And we're going to be celebrating Jesus together outside. And we also are going to eat some amazing tacos afterwards. Uh, but we're actually celebrating our 10-year anniversary. And uh, 10 years ago, October 2009, we planted Anthem Thousand Oaks for the very first time. So this year, 10 years, I don't know why we make some years more milestone-y. It's a little bit weird, but people do this in marriages or, uh, you know, high school graduations and all those things. And yeah, I th sure. But it's a big deal. It's a big deal. It's, it's, and we actually have a lot of friends even coming from out of the country who will be celebrating with us uh, that day. And so we just want to invite you, come, be present. You're going to be hearing more and more, even a little bit today, about some of the things that Celebrate Generosity is going to go to. Again, if this is a new concept to you, what we do that day and that week is we invite you guys to prayerfully consider what God might be calling you to generously give. And we want you to know that as we partake in this, Anthem doesn't, Anthem's budget increases zero in all of this. All of this money goes out the door. And Lord willing, this year and our 10-year anniversary, we will also hit the $1 million mark of having given away a million dollars over the course of 10 years. So come join us. We're at $920,000 right now over the last nine years. And all of this goes towards global uh, initiatives like Zoe International and Touch Nepal. Again, on our website and through the weekly in your, the app and all that site stuff, you can figure out more about it. Also go towards local initiatives like Zoe LA out here in uh, Santa Clarita, where we invest there to help with human trafficking, as well as we're contributing towards Preston Sprinkle and the faith, gender, and sexuality as he's going around the country trying to help equip and train churches and leaders how to engage in the LGBTQ conversation in a biblical and loving way. And then we also have uh, church planting. And so we have a huge heart for church planting. And this year, there's a church in the valley that's just getting started, a multi-ethnic. In fact, uh, I believe the guy who's planting the church is, um, his name is Sam. And I'm trying to remember where he's from. Do you remember, babe? Palestine? Yeah, he's from Palestine. 
and uh, he's starting a church in the valley, and we are so excited to be contributing there. Again, more information is to be coming about all of that, but I just wanted to wet your whistle a little bit about Celebrate Generosity. Put it on the calendar. Be there. Am I not allowed to say wet your whistle? W-H-E-T. Wet. <clears throat> right? Am I wrong? That's the right phrase, right? Yeah, thank you. Oh, okay. <laughs> if I can't say that in church, you guys might be at the wrong church. <laughs> Perfect. Oh, man. So this morning, we're going to start our generosity series, and, and we're going to talk about why we should be generous. We're taking this break in 1 Corinthians to huddle around the idea of generosity and what it means to have a culture of generosity. But before we get rolling too far in that, I want to ask the question, what is generosity? Adults and kids alike, let's, let's talk about that. What is generosity? What do you think it is? Giving, okay. What else? What do you think? What do you think? What else is generosity? Okay, it's the opposite of selfish. That's actually, that can be really helpful, especially if you understand what selfishness is. Sacrifice, good. Open heart, good. Okay, so rather than this, kind of like this open posture, sharing, great. Okay, it's good. Yeah, these are all great. Kind of get the ball rolling a little bit. Generosity is a quality that is a lot like unselfishness. Someone showing generosity is happy to give time, money, food, or kindness to others. Now, kids, this one's for you. Kids, can you think of anybody who, who's generous in your life? Can you think of anybody who's generous in your life? Any kid can share. Who's somebody that's generous in your life? Oh, pay, I paid him. <laughs> paid him. Your Grammy? Oh, your family's generous, yeah. Anybody else generous in your life? Sorry, Grammy. Took that one and just took it right back. Yeah. Anything, anybody else? Any kids think of anybody else who's generous in their life? That's okay, Coral. You don't have to. What about the rest of us? Who's somebody that's been generous in your life? Okay, yeah, your dad. Absolutely. Teachers are generous in your lives? Absolutely. They give time and kindness. Neighbors have been generous to you? Wonderful. Wife. <laughs> I like that. Anybody else? Have you been the recipient of generosity from somebody? Okay, yeah, absolutely. Jesus? Friends? Community? Has anybody here never been a recipient of generosity? That's good news. Maybe we're a little bit more uh, human and, and closer to <laughs> representing some of the things of, that is true of God than we think. See, as we talk about generosity, it's important to remember that generosity is not solely about money. It's closely linked to money and possessions and sharing. We're going to talk about that this morning, but it's really important 
Generosity includes money, but almost all of us, just like Missy said, our first inclination when we hear generosity is the cash. And I want to be clear that yes, it includes that, but it's so much more. It's so much more. Generosity is so important. Today, we're going to hopefully find the source for a generous lifestyle. I want to highlight 16 of, of we're not going to highlight 16 of Jesus' parables, but 16 of 38 of Jesus' parables are concerned with how we handle money and possessions. And the Gospels, one out of every 10 verses, directly deals with the topic of money and generosity. The Bible offers 500 verses uh, on prayer, less than 500 verses on faith, but more than, anybody want to take a guess of more, more than how many number of verses can, connected with money and generosity? Anybody want to take a guess? You can really throw out any number. 900,000, more than. 60, 90? You're pretty close, really close. <clears throat> 2,000 verses on money and possessions. That's a lot, right? That's a lot. And some people, when they come to a church and they hear like, oh, church is talking about money, a lot of times they're like, oh, they're so greedy, or oh, they just want my money. And the reality is Jesus is the one who talks about money almost more than anything else. Why do you think Jesus talks about money so much? Anybody? Absolutely. Absolutely. Randy Alcorn says this, what we do with our money and time loudly affirms what kingdom we belong to. Because it's that which most has a hold of our heart, preventing us from truly following Jesus. David, what you are alluding to is Matthew 6, 24. It says, no one can serve two masters, for he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Even though, is money in and of itself evil? No, it's not. Money's neutral, right? What is, has a tendency to be evil, though? Love of money and me. <laughs> right? My sinful humanity has a tendency to take money and, and make it something that I serve rather than potentially a tool to be used to bless. Even though we talk about celebrate generosity one time a year, that doesn't mean it's the only time we try and be generous. Let me be really clear. Generosity is at part of the core of who we are as followers of Jesus. We do not want to create an event-driven life, an event-driven generosity, meaning that I'm only generous when the sad song by What's Her Face comes on with the puppies. Um, Alanis Morissette, who is it? Sarah McLaughlin, yeah. Uh, that's, that would be event-driven generosity. I'm compelled to give to this one thing because at this one week moment at 11.30 at night while I'm still watching TV and I shouldn't, these puppies and song comes up and I'm sad. Or even something like celebrate generosity. I wait for generosity one time a year, and that's, that's where I'm generous. I just want you to know that we don't want celebrate generosity to become an event-driven um, generosity thing in your life. We want to cultivate as followers of Jesus a lifestyle of generosity, a characteristic of generosity. But that takes intentionality, takes practice, it takes commitment. 
And all of this, why would we do any of this? And this is because we believe God is a generous God. So we give generously, even when it stretches us. And to do that, we need to carve out regular rhythms of generosity. But we start with we are generous because God himself is generous. But we need to not throw that out there like we all just agree with the fact that God is generous. I think we should affirm one another right now and be able to, I want to hear from you guys, kids included, how is God generous? Adults and kids are all, how has God been generous? Absolutely, he died on the cross for our sins. What else? And he came back to life, yeah. Yes, exactly. What else? How has God been generous? Amen. That's right. Amen. Amen. He's forgiving. Mm-hmm. Patient. Yeah. Hmm. And is that cash? It's an important distinction, though, sometimes, right? Because our minds click so quickly to generosity as being cash. When actually, sometimes it can be. God has blessed many people financially. That's great. But the generosity of God isn't first and most financial. It's himself. It's his presence. So much so that he took upon flesh and was incarnate with us and dwelled among us. What's, he also is incredibly generous. What what, when he ascended, what did he do? What did he give us? Holy Spirit. It's a pretty generous gift. He did give us peace. Shalom. He's bringing it. He's also given us scripture so we can know who and what he's like. And he's also given the church to the world. Our God is an extremely generous God. And so when we talk about generosity in the start of our, our series, this is all going to be focusing on the fact that we have a generous God. And if we have any desire to develop a life that cultivates generosity, it must be rooted in the generous one. What I love about teaching through stuff like this is we're not talking to a church family that's, uh, we, I'm sure we can all grow in generosity, but everybody, nobody raised their hand and said, I've never been a recipient of generosity. So what we can highlight there is that this is, as we're talking through this, this is a keep going this is like the attaboy in baseball or in whatever sport you've ever played. And if you haven't, that just means keep, keep going. That's the pat on the backside. You're doing a good job. This is continue to grow in generosity. I want you guys to know that within our church family, we've gotten to see radical forms of generosity from places to live to a number of cars being given away to people paying one another's bills for surgeries being paid for, uh, providing countless meals, special cakes, babysitting, airplane tickets, amazing hugs, prayers, and many other generous acts. And so even as I'm talking to you guys, I'm, I just want to encourage us, let's keep going. 
We can never be too generous. But what we're doing this morning is, is we're, we're going to kind of focus our, our series around this practicing the way of Jesus. And so if you were with us in the last year and a half, you've heard us talking about practicing the way of Jesus. And really when we talk about practicing the way of Jesus, we, we identify that everybody who calls himself a Christian is actually a follower of Jesus. They are a disciple. That there is no, there is no grounds within Christianity for somebody to say, yes, I love Jesus and I love all the things that he provides, but I'm not a disciple of Jesus. And what we've talked about throughout the years is Jesus really has three main goals to orient our life around in practicing the way of Jesus. Does anyone remember what those three, three goals are? There's three things. We be like or be, be, we be with Jesus. We become like Jesus, and we begin to do what he does. We've used this framework for some time now because we believe that God has called us to be followers of Jesus, and we want to grow in our discipleship unto him. And so we're going to continue to bring this framework back up over and over and over again. And if that language of be with, become like, and begin to do is foreign, please go back. You can look in our, our uh, teaching series and catalog, and you can go back and you can listen through each of those. And this morning, we're going to be talking specifically about being with Jesus. Because being with Jesus is the source, it's the most fundamental, and it's the beginning point, not only of our generosity, but in our being followers of Jesus. We cannot do what Jesus did without being with him. So this morning, we're going to look at what does it look like to be with Jesus, Next week, we'll look at becoming like and doing what Jesus did in relation to generosity. <clears throat> All right, so being with Jesus. This is the starting point of a fruitful, a joyful, powerful life in the kingdom of God. The first and primary goal of an apprentice, a learner, a disciple of Jesus is learning to live in a constant state of awareness and connection to the Spirit. John 15, four through five, it says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. From apart from me, you can do nothing. You see, the source of our generosity lies not in the amount of money that we have, but of who we're connected to. If we have any desire to be generous, we have to be rooted in the generous one, and that's Jesus himself. You see, in essence, in John 15, what, what Jesus is instructing is he's asking his followers to stay, in const, to stay constant in their relationship with him. This is something that we've talked about for quite some time, but one of the things that separates Christianity from many other religions is this Invitation into relationship, relationship with the living God. And I think sometimes maybe also we live in a time and space where many relationships are so messed up that sometimes it's a good idea to pull back and, and even ask the question of like, what qualities do you think are important in a good relationship? Let's, let's share those for a moment. What qualities do you think are important in a good relationship? 
Okay, integrity or honesty, good. Communication. Patience. What, Henry? What? Liberty? Awesome. Good. What else? What are other things? Empathy. Love. Good. Understanding. Grace. Forgiveness. Peace. Having a peaceful relationship is important. There's so many of these things that are, that are crucial in, in a good relationship, and Scripture speaks of so many of these. Honesty, we see this to speak the truth in love in Ephesians 4.15. In 1 John 1.9, we see this characteristic of, of confession and forgiveness. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. In Ephesians 4.32, we see this idea of, of safety, that a good relationship has safety where we're kind and tender-hearted toward one another, forgiving one another as Christ our Lord has forgiven us. It also has consistency. I think if I were to highlight one of the most crucial components to a healthy and good relationship, it would be consistency. And yet when we did our God Has a Name series, that's one thing that we learned about Yahweh, right, is that he's consistent that he is present, that he is never changing, that he is abounding in steadfast love. Another important component to a good relationship is sharing. Right? You can't have a good relationship with somebody if you don't share. And that means your emotions, that means money sometimes, that means food especially. And we see this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Here, actually, you see consistency and you see sharing. They met together daily, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, sharing with one another if any had any need. The other important piece to this that I think is really important to a good relationship is presence. Some of you guys have tried long-distance relationships. There might be a few success stories here, maybe. Uh, but there's probably quite a few non-successful stories here as well because relationships are really hard without presence. Just like God showed us that his presence was required for a right relationship to be made. So our presence is required for healthy relationships. And all of this, when, it talks, when we're talking about relationship, it, it includes effort, participation, not spectating. When you think about becoming a good friend to someone, does it take place on accident or on purpose? Sometimes, actually. A lot of times it starts on accident, right? I remember one of my good friends in middle school. I was going to camp and I had my youth pastor came and he said, hey, sit next to Mike. I'm like, ugh. Like, why do I have to be the one that's always next to the new kid? Like, and, but all of a sudden it was like, that started out accidental and not on purpose. And one thing led to another, and then all of a sudden it was like, okay, is this going to move from just a general relationship where we happen to bump into each other every now and again, or is this going to turn into an intentional relationship where we invest into one another's lives, share with one another, stir one another toward faith and good deeds? 
a lot of relationships start accidental. If you're married here and you've been here and you married for a long time, you might, have, you might find yourself daydreaming every now and again, been like, depending on how healthy your marriage is. Uh, well, you could be like, when, what would have happened had I not met this person? And you're like, wow, that seemed very coincidental or almost accidental when we first met. But there was a shift and it moved from something on accident to something on purpose. Something unintentional to intentional. If we are going to truly grow in our generosity, it's going to come from growing in our relationship with Jesus. And if I'm to be honest, there's probably many of us in this room or a handful of us in this room where our relationship with Jesus might be on the accidental or occasional space rather than the on purpose and intentional. I want to talk about five postures uh, that, that we have when we talk about defining our relationship with God. And four of these postures are popular but unhealthy. And the goal ultimately is to be operating out of the fifth posture. This, is, this comes from a guy named Sky Jatani. He's got an amazing book called With, uh, talking about being with Jesus. And I highly recommend it. Also, if you're a podcaster, and I've been challenged lately to try and help give helpful resources and to not pretend like you guys don't listen to podcasts throughout the week and uh, aren't getting other information elsewhere, which is totally okay. There's nothing wrong with that. And so I thought that maybe it's helpful every now and again to share maybe a helpful podcast. And this guy, Sky Jatani, is on a great podcast called The Holy Post Podcast with Phil Vischer. If you are a VeggieTales fan, you will especially like it because he was the creator of the original VeggieTales. Um, but it's an incredibly relevant uh, podcast that's really helpful that speaks into actually really dicey issues, but they hold true and have such a high value of the word of God. It's also funny. Um, so anyway, there you go. Take it or leave it. Trying to help curate some things for you guys. Here we go. He, here are the postures that we have when, with relationship to God, and we can probably identify with most of these. The first one is life under God. That's that God exists in cause and effect form. We obey his commands, and he blesses us, our families, our nation, and our lives. This is one of the postures we have a tendency to hold when we talk about relationship with God. We have life under him. He exists in cause and effect form. We obey his commands. He blesses us, our families, our nations, our lives. The second relationship category is life over God. This is where we kind of exist in the space where we say God may or may not exist, but a successful life is proven. It's, 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 it's lived by proven formulas and controllable outcomes. The third category is life from God. People in this category, they want God's gifts and blessings, but are not particularly interested in God himself. This is people who want the kingdom of God without the king. Then this next one, many of us also can really relate to life for God. The most significant life is the one lived expending all its energy accomplishing great things in God's service. And then the fifth one is life with God. The life with God posture is predicated on a view that relationship is at the core of the cosmos. That God the Father with God the Son with God the Holy Spirit. And so we should not be surprised to discover that when God desired to restore his broken relationship with people, he sent his Son to dwell with us. John 1, 1 through 5 gives us a picture of this. And it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, 
and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is how John describes the beginning of all things. Before time and space, mountain, cows and coffee, the preexistent God lives in eternal communion with himself. This life with God posture is set with that at the core of all creation, that, that the core of the cosmos, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit existed in a relationship together. And that was God's heart for his people as well, his creation, so much so that he sent his son Jesus generously to come to this earth, to die on the cross, and be raised to life. His plan to restore creation was not to send a list of rules and rituals to follow. Instead, God himself came to be with us, to walk with us once again, as he had done in Eden in the beginning. He gave us his promise and his presence. And he promised that he'd be with us all the way through the end of the age. You see, life under God, over God, from and or for God, each seek to use God to achieve some other goal. In all four of those systems, God is seen as a means to an end. But life with God, life in relationship with God, is different because its goal is not to use God, its goal is God. Its goal is not to use God, its goal is God. He ceases to be a device we employ or a commodity we consume. Instead, God becomes our focus, our desire. See, true generosity is not about what we can give to other people or what God can get from us. True generosity is what happens when life with Jesus results in overflow. Or as we looked at in John 15, fruit that comes from the vine outpouring, sacrifice, and faithfulness. Okay, we're almost done, guys. I promise we're getting there. I know you guys have all hung tight so well. One of the things that popped up to us as we were getting ready to do this series is Psalm 23, uh, where it talks about how you anoint my head with oil. You see, when God looks at us, he, he looks at our hearts. God, God cares more about our hearts. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver, that he doesn't want somebody giving out of a ridiculous place in their heart. He doesn't want somebody giving so that they think that they will make God happy. He wants our hearts. And in Psalm 23, David's writing and he says, you anoint my head with oil. And oil in the Old Testament is a picture of the presence of God. It's this picture of God's presence being upon us. It's this picture of, of God's presence being poured on us. And then the next part of that verse, it says that my cup overflows, like so much so, this gets like a little weird looking, but almost think of like a giant vat of oil being poured over and like almost like this cup underneath and like oil dripping off the beard and into the cup and then the cup is overflowing. It's kind of this weird mildly gross image, uh, depending on what you think about oil coming off somebody's beard. Um, but it's this picture 
This anointing represents the presence of God, filling us and covering us so much that it begins to pour over and that there's extra for anyone else. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. And as the presence of God is poured out on us, our cup, our life, our possessions, our offerings, they overflow and they're poured out as a blessing on others. This is the posture of generosity we want to have as we're walking in to celebrate generosity this year. It's our hope and and our goal, not that we would hit a million dollars and be able to tout to everybody, look what we've done. But we want to be a people who have tasted the presence of Yahweh and the presence of the Holy Spirit and our cups have been filled and they are now spilling over and we get to share with anyone around us. Jesus says something similar to this in John 7, 37 through 39 and he says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, out of his heart will flow springs of living water. Now that's he said about the Holy Spirit who had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This picture is Jesus saying, look, we're all thirsty. We all need something to drink. We all need to be satisfied. And Jesus says, come to me. I am your source. I am the vine. Come to me. Come to me, and guess what? As you come to me, as you attach to me, I I will give you the Holy Spirit. And as you do that, from within your soul will will pour forth springs of living water. Well, what happens around living water? What happens around riverbanks of fresh water? What happens? Life. Abundance. I don't know if you guys have ever been hiking. I don't do a whole lot, as you can probably tell, but I do some. And you come around hills and valleys, and all of a sudden, you see this dark, rich green. Where's that come from? Water. This is the picture that Jesus is painting, or if you like the Narnia stuff, think about it like this. There's this... There's this flowing that comes from within us that in essence begins to melt down the snow away and fresh life begins to come. The thing is, if we're not connected to the source, we are going to run out of generosity. Many of us probably even feel like, man, I've only got so much I can give. Or we might look at our bank account and we're like, we're looking at like $13.57 here. Is that even worth it? One, yes, it is. We know what Jesus says about generosity like that. It's amazing. But it's not just about our money. We're going to talk about it next week, you guys. But God has been stirring me so hard in this area of presence that we'll just touch on it for a tiny bit, especially because our kids are in here. Kids, I want you to listen for a second. Not that you didn't need to listen for the rest of the time. But listen, right right here. Some of you guys get an allowance, some of you don't. But your money that you have is not the important, most important thing that you get to give to your friends at school, to the people around you. You, every single one of you, are created in the image of God. Each one of you. 
And you guys, just as Jesus came and gave his presence to us, you guys get to give your presence to other people. It doesn't matter the money you have. You get to give presence to people. You get to share a hug. You get to share a word of affirmation. You get to share a high five. You get to tell somebody that you're praying for them. You get to give presence. So before you have any money to give, know that you have a generosity story and you get to be generous with yourself. Because every person on the planet, whether rich, poor, or whatever, it doesn't matter. Each and every one of us are called to be generous because each and every one of us have the most precious commodity in the world to give and that's presence. And not just my presence, I get to give God's presence to others. So I just want to encourage you that before you're 13, 12, whatever, I don't care how old, right where you're at, you get to join God's generous story by giving presence. And most importantly, his presence, which is why we need to stay connected to the vine. We need to stay connected to Jesus. I'm going to close with this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus in this teaching is talking about the greatest treasure on earth, which is Jesus himself. Just about. Saying what everybody's thinking. It's my boy. <laughs> But my question for us this morning, is knowing Jesus better than anything else? Jesus calls it abundant life in John 10.10. Paul calls it being filled with the fullness of God. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 3.8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. The invitation for us this morning is to once again reorient our life. There's, hopefully there's not a whole lot that's been brand new to you this morning. But generosity comes with being attached to the generous one, and that's Jesus himself. So maybe for you this morning, the opportunity is to pause and think about your relationship with Jesus. Is it accidental and occasional or intentional and on purpose? And know that there is such richness waiting for you in the intentional and on purpose. And tons of grace for us there too. And tons of grace in the occasional as well. We're all on different journeys. But are there things in your life that you turn to as your source of joy and fulfillment that aren't Jesus? Your work, your video games, your entertainment, your children, your money, your social media. Would we turn back to Jesus and consider knowing him better than anything else? All right. I'm going to ask you guys to stand with us. We're going to start our, our, our singing. We're going to respond. And families, you know, every, all of us, we have... We have communion available. The bread represents the body of Christ, which is given for you and I. The juice represents his blood, which was shed for you and I. If you're comfortable, we encourage you to do it as a family and with those around you. Take it and remember Jesus. This is a great opportunity to reconnect.
But as I was doing, as I was preparing this, some of you may know this song, some of you may not. This might get a little cheesy, and I'm okay with that. And you can see all the other ways we're going to respond. But there's this mildly old song that came to my mind that I couldn't get out that we're going to sing a cappella before Casey and the team take us away. Uh, and so if you don't know it, uh, feel free to start singing it so I don't feel foolish. Uh, but if you do, uh, sing along this chorus with me. It's knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Let's sing it again. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. Yes, Lord, we just pray that that would be true. Would knowing you, Jesus, be the greatest thing in our life? Thank you for this opportunity to connect with you, to celebrate together, and continue to be with us as we respond now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.